let's get things going. It's SciTech Tuesday. It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live, SciTech Talk, taking the God story to a geeky place. Here's Michelle. Thank you, big voice guy. Today is a SciTech Talk, and our SciTech Talk, we get into some pretty fascinating areas of science and technology to give you insight into what's going on in the universe around us. And today I'm going to be asking this question, why? Why is the universe the way that it is? No matter where you come from, from a theological or scientific background, to me, it boils down to either it was a really cool accident or it was designed. And if it was indeed designed, don't we really want to know what the designer had in mind? What was the purpose? What's it all about? Well, we're going to take that on and in the midst of it, maybe even give you reasons to believe. And now, Reasons to Believe. That's right. From Reasons to Believe, Dr. Hugh Ross, astrophysicist. He is author of a ton of books. In fact, I'll pull one or two off my shelves and show them to you. They're some of my absolute favorite books because it takes some pretty deep ideas of science and makes it palatable for not just those who are science geeks, but those of us who may be uh, you know, just regular everyday people. It takes really heady ideas and helps us not only to understand, but it gives us insight into that possible designer that we're going to be talking about today. Hugh Ross, it's good to have you with us. Well, thank you for inviting me, Michelle. All right. So let's start this out. <clears throat> Why our universe is the way it is. Now, if it's happenstance, I think of that as the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon, in all of its magnificence, uh, <clears throat> there's still some things that went into the recipe of creating the Grand Canyon. Um, uh, we can't say that physical hands came down and carved out that Grand Canyon to make it what it is. It was a chance of nature, uplift of the Colorado Plateau, plate tectonics, pressure from water, wind, time, all of these things went into that recipe. Now, our universe, um, why is it the way it is? I think that there are three things in particular, from my uh, non-learned, I'm not a scientist mind, I break it down this way, Hugh. Three things that make up the recipe of our universe. Laws of nature, fundamental constants, and the initial conditions when the universe formed. I think those three things are like the basics of the recipe. And how it comes together is pretty important to our discussion of why is the universe the way it is. So first of all, is that a fair assessment? Can you tweak it a little it bit? Is a fair, yeah, it is a fair assessment. The one tweak I would add is that the gross features of the universe, its size, its age, uh, the amount of mass that's in the universe, the dark energy, uh, all that must be highly fine-tuned for there to be any possibility uh, for life in the universe. 
Okay. So, like my Grand Canyon example, uh, you know, it, the Grand Canyon really is a chance of how nature just came together. Is there any sign that there was any kind of intelligence behind the formation of the Grand Canyon? I'll ask you that first. Well, there is in the sense that, it, as you mentioned, it takes this uh, tectonic uplift of the Colorado Plateau uh, for this canyon to be carved out by the Colorado River. And tectonics, tectonics is not an easy thing to pull off. We live on the one planet where we got strong, long-lasting plate tectonics. And because the universe is designed the way it is, we have a planet where that's possible. You know, for example, we're living on a planet that is the thorium uranium champion of the universe. We have about 600 times more thorium than what we would expect with rocky planets and over 300 times as much uranium. And it's the decay of that uranium thorium that actually energizes the plate tectonics that makes the Grand Canyon possible. Without that uranium thorium, there would be no Grand Canyon. Over 300 mm -hmm. times as much uranium. Wow. So... All right. So you're saying, in essence, that there, uh, if the universe wasn't exactly the way it is, we wouldn't even see the Grand Canyon. So let me take that's it to, correct. A, yes. to another level. Go, go ahead. No, that's correct. You're right. Okay. <laughs> All right. So now, based on that, um, these three things that I mentioned, and, and, and as you mentioned, size, time, those kind of things, um, these are like the ingredients in a recipe, okay? So one of these ingredients I wanted to focus on right now, and that is constants. Can we talk about what that is? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, uh, what we see in the universe are constants that govern the laws of nature, and they're fixed. Our astronomical measurements tell us they've never changed at any time in the history of the universe or anywhere. In fact, the constancy of the laws of physics is crucial for there to be life in the universe. If you were to allow any change to take place, say in the velocity of light or the fine structure constant, or uh, say the dark energy constant, then we simply wouldn't be here to even investigate it. Okay. So that gives us a little idea of what constants are. So if the fundamental constants had different values, they were changed, just tweaked a little bit, uh, would it be possible to form even the most simplest structures, molecules, atoms, or even the advanced structures of planets, people, and uh, my lunch this afternoon? Well, you wouldn't have any of those. I mean, for example, the four fundamental constants that undergird gravity and uh, you know, electromagnetism, the strong nuclear force, the weak nuclear force, if they're not fine-tuned to better than a fraction of a percent, you will not have molecules. You will not have atoms. And without atoms and molecules, you're not going to have life. Okay, fair enough. So uh, we don't have a lot of wiggle room for our recipe of the universe is what you're saying. We don't have very, I mean, well, we just don't have a lot of wiggle room. Is that fair to say? Yes, and if you don't fine tune the gravity and the dark energy, you're not gonna get galaxies, stars, and planets, and moons. And once again, no possibility for life. So just the fact that we live in a universe with stars and planets 
tells us that's been exquisitely fine-tuned to a degree that supersedes the best achievement we human beings have pulled off. Okay, so here we are talking about this fine-tuned universe. It is not just like putting together a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. This is like uh, doing a, a flambe. It takes some real precision and it takes some real know-how. Okay, that's what it is looking like. And as we dig deeper into science and into this fine-tuning, we're seeing more of that. And that leads us to something that we're going to be talking about today, the fine structure constant, the fine structure constant. If you don't know what that is, that's what we have an expert here for, to kind of give us some insight. Uh, as we talk with Dr. Hugh Ross, Hugh, can you just explain what the fine structure constant is as simply as possible for someone like me? <laughs> well, it's a constant that governs the strength or the interaction between electrons and photons. And, you know, it's crucial for determining uh, whether or not you're going to have a universe with atoms and molecules. So just think of it, a constant that governs the relationship or the interaction between light and electrons. Okay. Um, this fine, let, let me ask this. In, was it like 1912, uh, Niles Bohr gave us that famous model of the atom that we all learned about in school. It, it, it kind of looked like um, electrons orbiting around the nucleus. nucleus it kind of right. like uh, looks looks like a model of our solar system almost, like, you know, around the sun kind of thing. And so we all grew up with that. Some of us made and painted those in science class. That was really deep stuff. 100 years ago it was like what are you kidding you and there's these little things that make us up and and that's as far as we knew 100 years ago that was the extent of our knowledge and that was again deep stuff but as we know much more about particle physics and the complexity and precision of this universal recipe that I'm calling it today, uh, it starts to look more and more astounding and like insurmountable fine-tuning. Fine in a recent issue, now you bring this up and this was a part of your blog posting. So in a recent issue of Nature, uh, there were physicists that revealed their experiment. What they had done, folks, is they measured the value of this fine structure constant. And they measured it to a level absolutely unattainable before, Hugh. Can you give me some insight? Yeah, it's the most accurate measurement ever made of the fine structure constant. And it's so accurate that it, for the first time, tells us the electron really is a fundamental particle. Before we had this accurate measurement, there were physicists speculating, maybe there's particles that combine together to make the electron, but we now know that's not the case. The electron truly is a fundamental particle, and the fact that it's a fundamental particle means we now have a seamless integration between particle creation theory and cosmic creation theory. I mean, that's what amazes me as an astrophysicist. We can take the huge universe and take it all the way down to what makes up the components of the atom. And we see that the two creation models are perfectly in sync with one another. 
So that's one of the aspects of this discovery. The accurate measurement also tells us something about dark matter. I mean, you're probably aware dark matter has been the great cosmic mystery of yeah. the past 10 years. And this is now giving us insight, for example, that it's highly unlikely that the universe contains what are called dark sector particles. And if you're wondering what that is, yes, these are, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, physicists have known for a long time there are virtual particles in the universe uh, where the quantum space-time fluctuations of the space fabric of the universe will pop particles into existence. Uh, but the Heisenberg uncertainty principle tells us as fast as they pop into existence, they pop out of existence. And they come and go at such a rapid space, at rapid period of time, we can't grab them and keep them. That's why we call them virtual particles. Uh, but there's been speculation. Are these virtual particles uh, made up of, uh, you know, like protons, neutrons, and electrons? Or are they made up of what we call dark matter particles? Particles that don't interact strongly with light. And because a fine structure constant is measuring the interaction between particles and light, uh, this new measurement tells us it's highly unlikely that dark sector particles exist. Although they're now saying, give us another two years, we're gonna be able to come up with a measurement that's eight times better than what we just published. And that factor of eight improvement will once and for all tell us whether or not dark sector particles exist. And if they do exist, which is quite unlikely, it'll actually tell us the actual properties of these particles. So either way, it's gonna be a breakthrough but wow. whatever way it goes, it's telling us there's this perfect sync between cosmic creation and particle creation, namely wow. that there's one. Yeah, go ahead. That, well, I'm saying that, that what that says to me, that constance is showing that there is what is true here is true there. There's uh, can I use the word universal truth? You can use the word universal truth. Uh, what unbelieving physicists would say is that there's a universal single plan, which tells us that it comes from a single planner. So this is really <laughs> big news for those of us who believe that there's a, a one God that created everything. And, you know, uh, as we, we look at that, I, I don't mind, uh, you know, I, I have a, a strong faith. And the more I look into science, the stronger that faith gets. But uh, there is science is not about going into uh, a conversation like this simply to prove, see, God exists. God is not opposed to us saying, okay, let's see this. Let's let's challenge this. I don't know about this. How does this line up with the God idea? Uh, God's not afraid of that. Why? Well, I think the evidence is such that uh, people uh, who are my peers, who are not believers, say there's some kind of causal agent behind it all. The real challenge is, is this causal agent a personal being? Does this personal being really care for God? And what excites me as an astrophysicist, these new discoveries are not only telling us there's some kind of causal agent out there, it's actually reached the point where it's able to identify the attributes, the characteristics of this causal agent. Whoa! And so there's no, yeah. <laughs> Mine. 
Can we talk about that for a minute? Because, you know, I'm sure. I'm putting myself in your position as you're watching right now going, wait, what? And what are these attributes? And why aren't I hearing about them? Well, there's a consensus amongst most physicists and astronomers uh, that some kind of deistic creator is out there. There's something that had to bring the universe into existence. The space-time theorems uh, prove that in a very rigorous way. But is this being a personal being? And that's what we're talking about today. We look at the fine-tuning of these laws of physics and the degree of fine-tuning. I mean, what impresses me is that we can actually not only see that the universe is fine-tuned to make our existence, we can measure the degree of fine-tuning to what level it has to be fine-tuned. And the fact that it must be fine-tuned to at least a factor of 10 to the 99 times, which is 100 trillion, 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 trillion times superior to the best we human beings have ever achieved in our own uh, design achievements. The building of instruments, for example. What does that tell us? It tells us the causal agent that created the universe at a minimum is 10 to the 99 times more intelligent than we human beings. 10 to the 99 times more knowledgeable and 10 to the 99 times better funded with better technology. And that tells us uh, we're really looking at a personal being because only a personal being can manifest the attributes of intellect, knowledge, creativity, power, and care. But what excites me is we can take it one step beyond that and say we're not only looking at a personal creator, but a redeeming creator. Because when we look at the fine-tuning evidence, it's at one level to get bacteria. It's at an exponentially higher level to get plants and animals. And an exponentially higher level again to get human beings or the equivalent of human beings. But the greatest degree of fine-tuning we can measure is what is needed to get billions of human beings that are able to develop the technology where they can hear, recognize, for example, their need uh, for some way out of their sin and their evil and recognize that there's a God out there that's caring enough and loving enough and powerful enough to deliver them from their sin and evil. And something I've recognized in my own studies of the Bible, the Bible tells us God begins his works of redemption before he creates anything at all. And the fact that we see the highest fine-tuning evidence in the context of redemption tells us we're looking at the God that's revealed in the Bible. It's astounding, too, when we look at the nature of nature. This is not just a bare bones kind of sterile. There's one type of nourishment that we can take, uh, a, a sterile landscape that just gives the bare minimum. Think of it this way. Um, the world being either a mansion or a jail cell. You know, a jail cell keeps people alive. It, it has a purpose. You're there, you're existing. But a beautiful home and a mansion and sprawling gardens and all of these say that you are thriving. Our world set in this universe seems to be designed for us to thrive lovingly. Yeah, it's way more than just a cell. I mean, I'm impressed, for example, that uh, we have human beings appearing on the earth at the time when conditions on the earth 
allow for the existence of eight and a half million eukaryotic species. Never happened before in the history. We humans get to enjoy all this abundant, extravagant life that God created. I'm also impressed we exist here on planet Earth when our planet's been most scenically beautiful. I mean, if you look at the past, say, 12,000 years, there's never been a period of, in the past history of the Earth where we've had such incredible scenery. You mentioned the Grand Canyon. I mean, if you look at Yosemite Valley, that was carved out by the last ice age. The last ice age was the most extreme of the ice ages. And it's not only carved out the grand, carved out the fjords of Norway. I mean, if you look at the spectacular scenery that exists on our planet, it is only in this narrow time window we've had that. So if God had put us here earlier, or if God had put us here later, we wouldn't have such a beautiful planet to enjoy. We wouldn't have all these plants and animals that we could uh, look at. And so, you know, God not only provided for us, he made it beautiful. And he made us beautiful. And he gave us a capacity to enjoy and appreciate beauty. So the chances of that happening, you know, all of that, I mean, we would have to be, we have more than won the ultimate lottery if that is just happenstance. So I'm still going to ask this again. We can't escape the order, Hugh, um, this fine-tuned order of the universe. Uh, and it takes great precision to get to these, uh, to, to where we're at right now, the calculations that you mentioned from these physicists. So here's the question. Let's just take our I Love Jesus t-shirts off for just a moment and just talk science, all right? Just talk science. Is there any natural explanation for this level of precision? Could there be? Is there anyone, any great thinkers out there that are trying to bring this to some kind of logical explanation? Well, for example, uh, I know physicists who are trying to say, well, uh, maybe there's some exotic physics going on in regions where we can't yet measure, and maybe that will provide a loophole. But this has been going on for millennia. Uh, where non-theists have been looking for loopholes to avoid the obvious evidence to nature that there's a God out there. But what is interesting, if you look at the history of this non-theistic movement, uh, their ability to speculate has been getting progressively smaller and smaller. The speculation space uh, for non-theism is dramatically getting smaller. And recently they said, well, the only spot we can go is what's called the quantum gravity era which is basically taking us back to the first 10 to the minus 43 seconds after the creation of the universe. And they say, we don't have the tools scientifically to measure what happens there. And they're right. We don't have the tools today to go into that very first epoch of the universe. And they say, well, since we don't have the tools, maybe we can speculate that the physics is radically different. But you heard me say already, Everything we can measure about the universe tells us that constants don't change. Yeah. And we can measure that now to 18 places of the decimal, that these constants don't change over the history of the universe. And very recently, astrophysicists have gained for the first time the tools to penetrate the quantum gravity era. 
and our initial penetration of the quantum gravity era is bad news for the non-theists. They've been pushed back into a smaller corner. Now, are we ever going to be able to eliminate the corner entirely? I don't think so, because that would require us knowing 100% of all the facts about the universe. And because we're constrained by the physics of the universe, we can never learn everything there is to know about the universe. However, there's a biblical principle. The more we learn about nature, the more evidence we'll uncover for the supernatural handiwork of God. And in the 21st century, that evidence has been going up exponentially. And so I tell skeptics, if you're not persuaded today, wait one week. And let's see what the new scientific discoveries tell us. <laughs> well, it's true. And it goes back to what something we began with. If there, if there are uh, laws of nature, if there are constants, by the very definition of being constants, they're the exact same laws at all times, in all situations, and in all circumstances. It's kind of always true. It's reminiscent of God being the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we're going to get to more of the God story in just a moment. But I I did want to talk about these uh, extraordinary calculations, uh, how we're seeing deeper, you know, going back from the 1912 uh, atom and nucleus, you know, model to what we know now. There are, uh, there are things that I didn't even know existed. How deep do you think we'll be able to get in? I mean, how deep does this go? How much well, smaller think, can we get? Well, I mean, we call it fundamental particles because of what we realize there reaches a point where you can't go uh, any lower. And this is what's been discovered. We now know the electron beyond any reasonable shadow of doubt is indeed a fundamental particle. You're not going to be able to go any smaller uh, than the electron. Okay. And uh, that's been a prediction of what's called the standard model of particle physics for a couple of decades. But now we're able to shore that up and say this is really uh, true. Uh, and likewise, uh, there's fundamental limits uh, to the universe. We know, for example, it's a finite age. There really is a real beginning to the universe. And there's something about the constancy of physics. I mean, it's interesting that these non-theists are speculating maybe there's a place where the physics isn't the same. But, you know, we can't do science if there aren't constants of physics. So what I share with my non-theistic peers is, I mean, you believe in science, right? You've spent your whole life doing scientific research. It would be utterly pointless if there wasn't a constancy to the laws of physics. And so their own speculations are violating their basic beliefs about science. There's a reason why science came out of the Reformation. You know, people were reading and studying the Bible. They saw these biblically stated principles about the universe, and they began to develop the scientific method, which, by the way, comes straight from the pages of Scripture. And when they began to apply that, suddenly there was this revolution in scientific discovery and knowledge. And even non-theistic scientists today believe in the scientific method. Uh, they believe that there's a trustworthiness about what they see in the world. But that wouldn't be there if there wasn't a fixed nature to the laws of physics. 
Yeah, you mentioned something that uh, you're going to hear here on my Michelle Live, and you're not going to hear, uh, you're, you're not going to go back and go, oh, yeah, I learned that in school. And that is that the Bible being a book of science. Um, we've talked about this, and I think for maybe new listeners, it bears repeating, Hugh. The Bible is twilight zoney. If you, sorry, God, but I don't know how else to say it. it's like do 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 do. It completely goes beyond the science of its time, and it is unique. If you look at the Quran, if you look at other uh, historical and religious texts. Always, every text goes by the science they know of the day. You know, in our age, we can speculate, but we'll say we're speculating, correct? The Bible, for some strange reason, goes beyond the scientific knowledge of the day that it was written. Well, Michelle, you know I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but when I first picked up a Bible in my late teenage years, that's what struck me. This book predicts future scientific discoveries. As a young astronomy student, I was completely blown away that this ancient book describes the fundamental features of Big Bang cosmology, that there's a space-time beginning to the universe, that it expands from that space-time beginning under laws of physics that don't change, where one of those laws is a pervasive law of decay. And so astronomers didn't discover the Big Bang until the 20th century, but the Bible had been teaching it in the days of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Job and Moses. And so I began to look deeper into the Bible and say, are there other places where it accurately predicts future scientific discoveries? And before I finally gave my life to Jesus Christ, I collected a list of over 300 places in the Bible where it had accurately predicted future scientific discoveries. Oh. And as an unbeliever, I said, the only explanation for that, the message of this Bible must come from the one who actually did the deed, the one who actually created the universe and that made possible our existence. So that's oh. kind of the story of how I became a Christian. That's, and it's astounding. And it is food for thought because, as I mentioned at the beginning, if this is just a really cool accident, awesome, go, go enjoy the ride. But if we continue to delve into science and the high precision of this uh, universe with laws that ha are in my words, universal truths, it would seem that there is a designer. And if there is, it is a bit worth uh, asking the question, okay, what do we know about this designer? And what does that tell us about our purpose here? We've talked about precision, and uh, we only have a few more minutes left, but I did want to talk about how chaos works within this whole very finely tuned universe. Well, that's really interesting, Michelle, because, you know, there are some uncertainties that we see in the universe. We've talked about the Heisenberg uncertainty principle of quantum mechanics. Mm -hmm. There's uncertainties built into what's called statistical mechanics. But what I find fascinating, even the uncertainties have to be fine-tuned to make our existence possible. If it wasn't for the Heisenberg uncertainty, we wouldn't have stable atoms and stable molecules. But if you were to make that uncertainty slightly larger or slightly smaller, 
than proteins that are crucial for our existence because your body is filled with proteins that work like transistors. And if you were to change the degree of uncertainty, those transistors would not function in a way that would allow you to live. So even the uncertainties are evidence for the fine-tuned uh, handiwork of God. What does that say then about God? That He has a, you know, we have. Free, it, to me, it's reminiscent of free will. We have a free will to make our own decisions, and yet still within that free will, God still is all knowing. Is that a nice way to to marry those ideas? Yes, and it's even greater than that. I mean, it tells us that God knows everything. He foreknows. He knows everything. He foreknows. And Ephesians tells us he predetermines. But the Bible teaches that we human beings possess strong free will, and God holds us responsible for our decisions, our thoughts, and our actions. Yet it also tells us that God is in control of everything. It's divine predetermination simultaneously operating with human free will. And don't try to solve that in the context of the dimensions we experience. But God created our space-time dimensions. He created realms beyond this universe. And if we allow him to be as big as what the new physics now proves, <laughs> uh, namely through uh, recognizing there's actually more dimensions of space than length, width, height, and time, and that time is created. If we allow God to be that powerful, there's multiple ways that you can have strong free will simultaneously operating with divine predetermination. You know, a book I wrote, uh, Beyond the Cosmos. I love that I book. You... I was just going to see if I could pull it over out over here. Keep, to keep talking. I'm looking for All it. All right. Well, what I do in that book is I give you three different ways in the context of God's extra dimensionality uh, that he could give a strong free will while he simultaneously controls all of our thoughts, words, and actions. Yes, that's the book. And what I tell readers is, you know, I'm not saying that one of my three proposed solutions is correct. I'm just saying this is not a contradiction. If I can come up with three ways to have your cake and eat it too, in the context <laughs> of God's uh, transdimensionality, then surely God's got a way to make it work. And so we just need to simply trust him. Given that he has the power, this is not a contradiction. And this is actually one of the factors that brought me to faith in Christ is realizing what puts the Bible apart from other holy books like the Quran or the Hindu Vedas is the Bible alone teaches doctrines about God that cannot be visualized in the context of the dimensions we humans experience. Whereas what I found in Hinduism and Buddhism, Islam, and the other world religions, all their doctrines about God are doctrines we can visualize within the dimensions we personally experience. So the fact that the Bible contains doctrines like the triunity of God, mm -hmm. the simultaneity of human free will and divine predetermination was evidence that the message that we see in the Bible must come from a being that transcends the limits of human visualization. So these other books I said, they could be inventions of human beings but the Bible must come from a transcendent source. Yeah, and once again, this book, uh, Beyond the Cosmos, it is one of my all-time favorite books. Um, if you are 
or you know someone who is just even slightly geeky, this just brings the God story to a whole new level of, whoa, it's an astounding book, astounding book. Uh, I love it, Hugh. Um, and bringing this back home um, to these constants and the laws of, of nature that are the same yesterday, today, and forever, I wanted to bring it back to the God story because even our universe with all of our universal laws, I say the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, it's really the same yesterday, today, and as long as the universe is in existence, God uh, is truly, has no beginning and no end. Once again, a concept that is outside of the realms of our dimensional thinking. Uh, And he is, I guess, in all of this, it comes back to this God, to this designer, the ultimate chef creating this beautiful recipe of the universe that is beautiful, that is tasty, that is nutritious, and everything that we need. It just shows his loving hand. And I wanted to get to to the greatness of this God and how we see that redemptive message, because that's what it all, all of the science we talked about, all of the fascinating things in in your book, uh, one of your later latest books, uh, everything that we've, that all the figures and the facts, it really does all lead to the ultimate story. Well, it does in the sense that, uh, you know, we're looking at a God that's trying to redeem us from our sin and evil. This is a God that wants a relationship with us. And all we need to do is look at the birds and mammals around us. These are animals that God created. And guess what? They want a personal relationship with a higher species, namely us human beings. These are the animals we tame. These are the animals that are designed to serve and please us. Doesn't it make sense, therefore, that if God created all these birds and mammals that he designed to relate to us and serve and please us, a higher species, doesn't it make sense that he designed us to have a relationship with him and to serve and please him? And when we look at our sin and evil, we realize we need help. Uh, But God obviously is caring and loving and powerful enough. He will do for us what we can't do for ourselves We simply need to go to him. And that is what it all comes down to. It's so much more exciting than just the extraordinarily cool topics of science that we take on because we here take it to the God story. They do the same thing at Reasons to Believe. You can go to reasons.org, of course. If you go to mymichellelive.com, we have links. We have links to uh, Beyond the Cosmos, so you can pick up this spectacular book, other books that we've talked about and uh, that are from the scholars at Reasons to Believe. You can find there as well. Uh, Dr. Hugh Ross from Reasons to Believe. A big hello to the whole team there. You know I love all of you. Thanks for being with me today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. More SciTech Talk at MyMichelleLive.com. <laughs>